The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 89 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm Sean Rapier. I am the host, and I'm so glad you tuned in because this week's guest is so awesome. Dave Hunter, who is one of the pioneers of what they call Mormon cinema. He is uh, one of the men responsible for films like The Singles Ward and uh, The Home Teachers and Church Ball and so many great films, plus so many other things, and a lifelong, literally lifelong friend of mine. Uh, He is my guest in the conversation, and you will absolutely love it. Such a great guy and a fun, fun conversation this week. And this week in my Latter-day life, I'll tell you why I had to step out of church during Easter and why I don't regret it. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And it is my pleasure to have here in the Latter-day Live studios, not only an icon in the film world, I mean a true icon, but also a dear friend of mine for many, many years, Dave Hunter is my guest. Dave, welcome. Thanks, Sean. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad we get to do this. I am so happy that I'm here and that I get to do this. Yeah. This is great. You can go ahead and say what you want to uh, yeah, say. Yeah, so... <laughs> I, you know, in, in moments of confession here, I, I, I've known Sean. We grew up together in San we Jose, did. California. I mean, this is back, so going on, however, I'm older than you, so I've known you your entire life. Yeah. And you've known me... 40, 46 years. So you've known me for 46 years, and I've known you for 46 years, but yeah. I've been alive for 49. Yep, yep. But uh, I, I run into Sean the other day at the uh, grocery store, and we're just chit-chatting, catching up, and he says, hey, I've got this podcast going on. And I said, oh, that's sick. And then he rattles off the hundred people that he's already had on the show. hundred. And it's like, Dave, I really want you on the show. And I'm like, well, you must really want me on the show because you've already done a hundred of them. And it's just because we ran into you at the Harmons that I'm now on the show. So here's the truth. So it was a little embarrassing because no. all the people that he mentioned were all people that had started out in Hailstorm movies <laughs> that were all my thing. And every single one of his guests have been, you know, okay, come through kind of our doors. Because if Anyhow, you, it's right. embarrassing. It's so, embarrassing that I'm sitting here. And it's almost like I'm sitting here because Sean felt guilty. In my defense, the <clears> way it really happened, really defense, Dave. But, no, the way it really happened was that I had to get a big enough following before we were worthy of Dave Hunter. And that that is how it worked. So thank you for coming, and thank you for joining us. A thrill to have you in my home. You're welcome, Sean. Before we get into so many things that we want to talk about, I mean, today's conversation is going to be about lineage, about Baja racing, about filmmaking, and everything else. But before we get into all that, you alluded to the fact we've known each other our entire lives. Tell us where you grew up. Born and raised in San Jose, California, uh, in South San Jose. If you know, shout out to the San Jose South. Yo yo. Yeah. Um, my dad was uh, an attorney, and I say that kind of loosely. He was a corporate attorney. He did some wills and estate things, but yeah. mostly he serviced the people in the stake and was always just too kind to ever get paid on anything so you know people say when people say 
yeah, your dad was an attorney. You guys, that's a great... No, we were... My poor stories match up with anybody's poor stories on the planet. I mean, there was... We had a 15-passenger van, and this... People are going to think... During this podcast, Sean, people are really going to think that there's a lot of exaggerations and lies that are coming out of my mouth because it is too unbelievable what I've actually lived through in my life. <laughs> but this is these are this is truth. But we had a 15-passenger van, and my mom would go to my dad in the morning and say, hey, Rich and I'm completely out of gas. Dad would pull change out of his pocket and give it to her. We'd go to the Shell station there on, on Almanac Expressway and fill up with 87 cents. And within two miles, we were out of the gas. And the Hunter boys, there was eight of us. There's four boys, four girls, eight kids. We'd all be out behind the 15-passenger the van pushing it down on an expressway. So the joke in the ward was, how many times did the Hunters run out of gas? Hunters and hunters of times. <laughs> and that is a true st- Literally, we had, you know, oh, we had Dave. Christmases where we had a Christmas where we all got oranges in our stocking. And that was Christmas. So it was... Yeah. It was a super happy childhood. We worked our butts off. I mean, we literally, it was newspaper routes. I had a newspaper. For all of you, and you like to call yourselves Mormons that live in Utah and these other places where you got release time seminary, Sean and I were the real men of the world that we had to wake up. It's 5.30 in the morning through our entire high school career. But to compound that, I had a paper route all through high school. So I had to wake up at about 4.30 or 5 every single morning. Deliver my paper out, then pedal my bike to the Camden building and and go to seminary, then go to high school. That's so, early. If you're doing a paper route before early morning seminary in San Jose. Yeah. That's early. Early. Yeah. But you but you lived in one of the coolest houses. Lived in a suit. So it was a cool house because it was a big house. It was huge. But it didn't have any furniture in it. So as kids, it was awesome because our carpet in the family room had lines in the carpet. And that was our football field. And it was a full-blown every day. And it wasn't football. It was rugby. It was whoever got the ball, you just try to get to the other end of the living room. And, and your life was at risk every time. And People and, tried to stop you. Yeah. That was it. But we had a super happy that's, childhood. That's we worked hard. Say. We, I mean, as in a child, when you're a child that is really poor, you grow up, you don't feel poor because just you just got along. I mean, you just, you know, mom, yeah. you ate in... We ate out twice. My entire life growing up, we ate out twice. We ate at the Hungry Hunter. Remember that, whether that the was? Hunter. Yeah, it was at Blossom Hill. Yeah, it was on Blossom yeah, Hill. We I ate at the Hungry that. Hunter once. And then, then for New Year's, one year, my mom really wanted to go to a Chinese buffet. So we went and collected all of the neighbor's Christmas trees after Christmas and took them to the dump so that we could go to a Chinese buffet for New Year's wow, Eve. Wow, Dave, that's amazing. So two times our entire lives, we ate out. And yet you were a happy family. You were happy, close family. You want to be around your siblings. We love each other. Yeah, you've got amazing siblings. Uh, so you had this happy, wonderful family, though. Yeah. And at some point, what year did your mom open the country school? 1981. My How mom did that opened it. Just my mom, literally to the point of just so sick of, you know, running out of gas on Omnibus Express area the other day. She just had this idea that, like, you know what, I'm going to take matters in my hands. I'm going to go start this private school. And it was in 1981, she opened up the country school, and she opened it up. I was in sixth grade, and she opened it up K through fifth grade because I was a total hellion. It went up to fifth grade, and then every year she yeah, added a every grade. Every year she went up. And that yeah. was just the grade right below me. So I never went to the country school. But I was the janitor at the country school, so every day I'd get on my skateboard from Castellero and go over to the country school and vacuum all the rooms. 
I don't know if you know this, but I went there for seventh grade, and then your mom wrote the nicest letter to my parents, letting them know that maybe I wasn't the best fit for the country school, <laughs> oh, and that it would probably be better that I don't make it back. Okay, so, this is good. That's, that's awkward. That's okay. I adore your mom. I love your mom. I've told you this a million times. I, I think you're the world of your mom. So yeah. you you graduate from high school. You're done. Uh, you are, I, we'll get into this later, but you are remarkably successful in life. Like if you look at just, and you don't have to be embarrassed or shy about this, you've done very, very well for yourself and your family. How much of that is driven from those early experiences? hundred percent, 100%. That, that we had a family saying hard is not bad. Hard is just hard. And I, I think that once you're a kid and you can learn how to really work hard and not mind it, you know, we had this lot that every year we'd have to go weed eat a whole entire acre lot. We, I had paper outs. We collected cans. We collected newspapers. We, yeah. I was a janitor. I did, and it never bothered me. Work never bothered me. And, and once you get to the point where work doesn't bother you, then nothing in this world can bother you. Because you're, you are seriously one of the most driven people I've ever met. You don't slow down. And it's paid off for you. Yes. But a lot of that, or you're saying 100% of it, it just comes from not wanting to continue on that way. So, and you know what? I, I, and I don't know where this conversation is going to end up, but having wants is not a bad thing. No. Because having wants not. is a motivating thing. Yes. And as a kid, I hated not having, you know, back in the day, yeah. this, is, this is awesome. Like in high school, my high school years were 84 to 88. Mm-hmm. And Reebok's aerobic size shoes were like, you know, the aerobic shoes. The one little Velcro the up The one top. little Velcro yeah, up top. Sure. And you'd peg your jeans and you had your little Reeboks. <laughs> and they were bright white. It drove me crazy that I couldn't have Reebok aerobic size aerobic yeah. shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, I get it. And I wanted a moped. And I wanted to have an OP shirt. And I wanted a Walkman. Mm-hmm. So that being driven... To the point where, yeah. from a from being coming a self starter, like how do I get a newspaper out? Well, I call that person, I get and blah blah blah, and you get her out, and then, and how much is paper a ton? And you go collect papers because I I always I hated yeah being so poor. I, I hated it to the point where it drove me to to action. Yeah. So now, are you able to look back? Because I'm wondering now, hearing all this, if you would be in the position you're in now. Uh, had you not gone through that, are oh, you able to look no. back and just be grateful for the experience, or is it like, no, forget it? No. I just, I mean, Todd Rapier, your brother and I were such good friends, yeah, because we refed. I yeah, did my right. paper out in the morning, <laughs> and then I refed six games after school for yeah. all the private schools around town. Yeah. And 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 Sean's brother Todd was, yeah, you guys we were refs together. together. But I did that from fourteen to eight. I mean, I probably refed, yeah, five thousand games in my life. I, I mean, it. just because it was fifteen bucks a game, and sure. Blah, blah, so. And you're, so this all happens. It builds you the man you are. You take yes. off out of San Jose. What, what came next? So. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 so, wait, So, wait. so and, and because, I got to go back. I got to go back to your teenage years. I cannot believe I left this out because it's one of the great moments of my life. We were, I was 14, uh, no, yeah, I was probably 13 or 14. You were 15 or 16. And me, your brother, Jimmy. You and another friend, I don't know who it is, we were out here for a youth conference, and the four of us had the opportunity to go sit with your grandfather. Tell us who your grandfather is. Okay, you just threw me for a loop there, because I thought you were going to say that we went to the youth conference, and literally... 
between the four of us got our state yeah, permanently banned from ever going back to Utah. <laughs> Literally, the church wrote a letter and said... The San Jose South Stake is never welcome back to the state of Utah again. And that literally was because, because of the of us. shenanigans because, we pulled when yeah. we were. But yeah, we were shooting silly string and all kinds of stuff at each other in the church offices. Yeah. That part was not good. So that <laughs> that is kind of a funny memory. But tell us who your grandfather is. So my grandfather was Howard Hunter. So I and I don't know if you're digging for like a specific story or just nothing. I, at all. I mean, I just I'm without curious. a doubt, and it's always it's always funny because. You always build up these conceptions of who these people are because of general conference talks. That's really where you get to hear these people know them. Sure. And, That's how and we know for them. me as a kid, you'd grow up and and Howard Hunter, I always thought, gave some of the most boring talks of general <laughs> conference. I was like, because that wasn't who he was. He right. was actually an animated, funny I mean, a lot of people say my sense of humor comes from my grandpa, and I, if that really is the case, then he must have been demented too, because my <laughs> sense of humor is really off. You have a great sense of humor, but he was the kindest human being that that yeah. has ever lived. I mean, if, if there was one word that was the the epitome or the encapsulation of Grandpa Hunter, is he was kind. He yeah. was kind to everybody. I mean, we went. We I worked in Germany for one summer after I got married, and. Became really good friends with this fully tatted out guy that had earrings and a ponytail and long hair. And he came out to Utah to visit me and we went up to go see grandpa. And he sat down with him for three hours and just, and he came in in these Daisy Duke cut off jean, like German shorts, Euro German shorts, a wife beater with tats. And, you know, we walk into the church office building. They're like, uh, can we help you? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to see Howard. Let's go. And he, but he loved, didn't judge was genuinely, genuinely concerned about other people and yeah. their welfare and how they were and knew that everybody were children of God and he did not care your life story, what you were doing. He just had genuine love for everybody. He, he was a good guy. It was only probably 20 minutes that we spent with him that day, maybe half hour. I count as some of the most sacred time of my life. Because of you and Jimmy, I'm able to say I met a prophet of God and got to sit with him. I mean... Tremendous blessing and hmm. an awesome legacy that, that he's left. So, and I'm sure he's remarkably proud of you looking, <laughs> looking down. No, no, no. Now, he's, you know? he, I promise you, he's trying to come back through the veil to slap me upside the head. But <laughs> so, all right. So now you graduate, you graduate high school. Where do we go from here? So, and this is, this is because there's a wraparound of the story, but I actually didn't graduate from high school. Okay. I didn't walk with my class because I had pretty much failed out of high school because we we're at the beach every single day. <laughs> and I was a half credit short graduating. So I had to do a BYU study, like study abroad or whatever they call it, like homeschool yeah, course. Home, home study, oh, I had to yeah. do a home study course from BYU. And it was a bowling class. And the wraparound to that is to graduate from BYU. I was a half credit short. <laughs> so I did the same bowling class. So legitimately, I bowled like a thousand rounds of my life and I've never broken a hundred <laughs> but but I had to take a half credit bowling class to get out of high school and out of BYU. How do how do you do distance education bowling? <laughs> so, but I, I legitimately oh, dude, failed out of awesome. high school, and everybody always said, "Hunter, you're a total underachiever." Because I did, I think I got a one seven GPA, but I got into BYU, and everybody says, "Oh, because your yeah. connection, you're a hunter." But I got a thirty one on the ACT, so I always knew that yeah. I was. Smart, You're a super just, smart guy. Just, yeah, that's not in question. Just not. You didn't driven. apply yourself. I didn't apply Dave. myself. Yeah, that's what they that's, always said, Dave. You saying. just didn't apply yourself. Dave, you need to apply yourself. But I did apply myself in the things that were right. surfing and yeah. writing and 
Yeah, you had a lot stuff. of fun. We had yeah, a lot of fun. You were a fun guy, Dave. I always loved hanging out with you. And so you graduate. So when you when you left high school, did you stay in San Jose? Back then, Sean, when you and I were growing up, yeah, you graduated from high school when you were 18. Yep. And that was the end of your run. That was, God bless you, son. Yep. You had 18 years of a roof over your head and food every once in a while. You're now leaving the It's not like... Can yeah. you leave the nest? Do you want to leave the nest? It yeah, was... Yeah. It was, you're out. I yeah. put three orange boxes. Remember, you'd go to Safeways and get an orange box. Yeah, sure. Put all of my clothes in those three boxes. <laughs> took a bus to the Greyhound station in San what? Jose. Got on the Greyhound. They dropped me off on Center Street in Provo. And I didn't really know Provo at all. So I had my skateboard and my three orange boxes, and I pushed from Center Street up to DT. No way. And by the time I got there, I'm like, I freaking hate this place. This is... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dave, but that was it. That. And it was... You paid for your own school. You paid for your housing. You had a job. And there was no question about what life was. So I started out with 15 credits my first semester. And by the about fourth week, I had dropped down to three credits, and I failed that class. <laughs> Second semester, same thing. But... Parents yeah. couldn't say anything because yeah. I was paying for my own school yeah, and, and yeah. I was on my own. So second semester did the same. We skied and, and Sean, just, I keep reminding myself that digital is forever. Yeah. So I can't tell you the real stories because it's so right. criminal that it's, <laughs> it's bad, but we skied a lot our freshman year yeah. and we didn't have any money. So whatever that means, we'll I don't know. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. So same program down to three credits. And I can't tell you this because we've repented for it, but the end, the, about the beginning of April and finals are like the third week of yep. April. Me and my buddy po Pete Boyack just playing a prank on a kid. We pennied him into his dorms, and that's where you take a bunch of pennies and shove them in the door jam, and then you can't get out. You're stuck in your room. And then we put a bunch of bottle rockets under his door and lit them all off. And it, they landed on his sheets, and they caught on fire. Oh no! Yeah. And he's pennied in. And he's pennied in. He couldn't get oh, out. Oh, Dave. And and a we felt terrible. We really did. Yeah. But it turned into a big deal, and we got kicked out of BYU. That was it. Not out of the school. We got kicked out of the dorms. Out of DT. Yeah. So Pete Boyack and I took cardboard boxes and went to the DT field and set up a Hooverville. No joke. We were sleeping in cardboard boxes. And no after way. about the third day, the BYU police came and said, you guys can't sleep on the, on the BYU field. <laughs> and so and we'd already given up on school. So every day, there was a gas station called Hearts. Yeah. We'd go to Hearts. And we, for a dollar, you could get three hot dogs and a Mountain Dew. So for a dollar a day... We were, and then we'd go, and that was baseball season at BYU. And neither of us were baseball fans, but we didn't have anything to do, so we'd go to BYU baseball games and eat hot oh dogs. Oh my gosh, Dave, that's amazing! Yeah. So got home that summer. I had a. I you had went a, back home to San went Jose. back home to San Jose to work to you know yeah, get going right. ready for the mission and save up some yeah. pennies, and uh, got my call to Hamburg, Germany, mm. to leave in October. So I had kind of a long summer. That was, you know, I was home in Maine. I wasn't leaving till October. Got called to Hamburg where my best friend at the time was a guy named Jared Stone. He got called to Hamburg too. And so I was super excited about that. Worked at a cubicle furniture factory in San Jose that whole summer, uh, refurbishing cubicles. Yeah. Then in October, uh, headed off to Germany. How was your mission? So, and then this is where I get to the, you know, I could never judge anybody for, but for the first year of my mission, we literally worked our guts out 
And it was door-to-door in Germany where nobody, I mean, there's not a religious soul left in the country of Germany. I mean, sure. I think there's 1% of the population that even affiliates with a religion at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. it's that low. But the first year we taught one discussion, one discussion in a year. I mean, oh. th- that satisfying feeling you have at night for you yeah. doing a hard day's work didn't even have that feeling. It was like, mm-hmm. that was a complete waste of a day. That's like hard. being outside in the freezing cold and we didn't do a thing. And people are like, oh, missionary service is so great. We didn't serve anybody. We yeah. walked around and banged on doors. And and this is just a quick story. Ed Pinnegar was my MTC mission president, mm. and he was a stud. He was amazing. But right before we left the MTC, he gave us in one of those large group meetings this speech about the first little while on his mission. He knocked on a door. The guy opened up the door and punched him right in the nose, and he fell down the entire staircase. <laughs> and he got up with a bloody nose and thought, this is the greatest day of my life. I'm being persecuted for the Lord. <laughs> my very first week in the mission, ding dong, a guy comes out with this leather bat and starts wailing on us. No way. And Sean knows me in my <laughs> previous life. I wouldn't have taken that for one second. I no. would have started swinging regardless yeah. if the guy was, I would have, even if I would have died, I would have started swinging. Of course. But the whole time this guy is wailing on us, I'm thinking, this is so great. I'm being, I'm being persecuted, persecuted for the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ed, you'll probably never that. hear this, but that was that story was just fresh and bold in my mind. Cheers to President Pinnegar. That's awesome. Tell us how you met your wife. So, again, this is towards the very end of my mission, and now we are having a ton of success. I mean, it's... I baptized almost 50 people the second year of my mission. In Germany. In Germany. And it's literally because I just genuinely, just very, I'm not comparing myself to Christ, but just Christ-like was like, I love you. You're my brother. And this is, I, I, this brings me happiness. This should bring you happiness. And it was through playing soccer. It was through starting a basketball league in Hamburg and every single week. End of this is the end of my mission. I'm in Hamburg. I'm serving actually in the city of Hamburg, and yeah. I get transferred in, and I go to Sunday. And I'm from San Jose, but in my speeches, I always said I was from San Francisco because nobody in the world nobody ever knew San, San Jose, Jose was. Not then. Now Not then. Do. I think San Jose is probably on the map at this point. Now that you can't get a, an apartment for less than two and yeah. a half mil, sure. So get up, give my little speech. And I am Dave, I'm Elder Hunter from San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. And I see in the front row, this girl. And this is, this is no joke. I instantly knew that that was going to be my wife. Like, boom. boom. And this isn't just because this was this beautiful German girl sitting there. Because I, you know, you'd crossed, I'd been in Germany for 20 months at that point. Crossed a thousand people that were pretty and young and fun and blah, blah, blah. But instantly knew that this was my wife. So get done with my speech. The bishop comes up to me and says, hey, Dave, or Elder Hunter, that girl that was on the front row, she was an exchange student in Eden, Utah, which is a story unto itself because she's from the biggest, the second biggest city in Germany. Mm. And just like a mission call, she got sent to Eden, Utah as an exchange student. So I go up to her and I go, you remind me of this girl. And she goes, who's that? And I said, oh, this girl that I used to hang out with in college. Her name is Julia Peterson. Julia Peterson from Liberty, Utah? Yeah, Julia Peterson from Liberty, Utah. No How way. the freak do you know her? Because I was an exchange student in Liberty. No way. And we were best friends. Oh my gosh, Dave. No. Yeah. That, that is was, amazing. That was amazing. We go through the discussions and the lessons, and we set the baptismal date, and she's from Hamburg, and she's 
German. And so the stake president shows up, the mission president shows up, the whole war, the whole stake. It's a big thing. It's pretty, oh, it's pretty emotional for me yeah. because I know that this is going to be my wife. Right. So it's hard for me to say the prayer and baptize her because I'm a little bit choked up in this thing. Yeah. Baptize her. She comes out of the water and she kisses me on the cheek. And with a big hug and a kiss on the cheek and wow. the mission president sitting right there and the stake president. So that night I get a call. Hey, Hunter, there's obviously some serious emotions between you and the sister Schumann. Yeah. We should probably transfer you. No, not be careful. We should probably transfer you. So mm. I get transferred out of Hamburg for my last city. Did you finish your mission? You came Finished. Home. Did you come back to Utah or California? Went to California. Yeah. Yep. And then how long before you reconnected with Jill? So again... Land in San Jose. About a week later, my parents take off to go somewhere. Yeah. And Jill calls me and says, Dave, what are you doing? And I said, nothing. This is, I got back in, I mean, I went in October, got back in October. So school didn't start till January. Nothing. Well, come to Germany. I said, okay, it sounds great. Me and Carrie Clark... Remember Carrie? Carrie, absolutely. And I st- and I still really liked Carrie. Carrie was the girl that I really loved in high school. That was yeah, the girl that always was beautiful. the elusive one because we were best friends. And so, she was such a sweetheart too. Carrie is just she was beautiful and such a good good soul. Yeah. You know, so I call Carrie and Carrie, how am I going to do this? So we get in the San Jose Mercury News and we find some scam that you can buy this lady's air miles and get a ticket. So I meet her in the Red Lobster parking lot on Allen Expressway, Expressway, give her $800 that I had literally, I still had savings from before my mission and blah, blah, blah. Give her 800 bucks. She gets in her car and drives away and says, I'll bring you your ticket tomorrow. And I'm like, we just got, and Carrie and I are yeah, scammed. The next day, the lady shows up with a ticket and hands it to that me. That is unreal. Oh I go get gosh. on the plane, fly to Germany. Didn't tell my parents. They're still out of town. This is all in a matter of a day. Land in Germany, and I have to save up some money for school. So I go, I'm staying at the Schumann's house. I go get an illegal job. I cleaned a grocery store every single morning, and they paid me cash under the table. And in the afternoon, I take my guitar and go into downtown Hamburg and play on the streets and made so much money doing that. I'm, I really thought, like, I should never go back to school. I should just become <laughs> a street artist. And I knew, like, three songs on my guitar, but I'd made, like, 300 bucks a day. Did they know you were American? Yeah, and my sign yeah. actually said, hey, Christmas is coming, and I've got to get home. Anything would help. And yeah. I would literally play half of a song, and then I'd just follow people around with the sign and just make them laugh, and they'd give and me Germans money. generally love Americans. Love Americans. I've been to Germany many times. They adore us, yep. which is wonderful. Yep. Then you drive into France, and it's a different story. Different story. But, uh, so... Did you guys then get engaged while you were there? No, but we knew that we really liked each other. Yeah. So I came back to school. Come back. And then in March, she came back. She came to Utah. How long and then uh, after that did you get married? So we got married. So we got engaged in March. We got married in July. Yeah. So, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but it's good that your wife met you while you were on your mission because your wife is one of the sweetest people I've ever met. And you were probably at your sweetest moment. And had she met you at the wrong moment, because your wife, I'm not kidding, your wife just exudes this kindness, gentle, wonderful, loves everybody kind of a vibe, you know? No, nope. and it's so funny because the night before I gave this speech in Hamburg in front of Jill, you know, like my yeah. introduction speech, my companion had bought these shavers, the clippers, hair clippers. And yeah. hey, Hunter, and we, you know, just missionaries give each other haircuts sure 
He's never done any, a clipper cut for somebody. So he puts on the number one attachment and starts with my bangs and goes about three inches in my bangs <laughs> and just gets this ghost white look like, Uh-oh. oh, crap. And I'm like, oh, crap, what? Shouldn't have started with the bangs. And it literally, and you know, German with skinheads. Sure. There was nothing he could do because he started right in the middle of my head. So he oh. had to shave my whole head with a one. And Sean, oh, I'm a tall, no. skinny dude with a big nose. Oh. I look like a burn victim with a shaved head. Oh, my gosh. So the very first time I met Jill, I literally had a shaved head. That's amazing. Yeah. So so you guys get married. We get married. Uh, you got married. You were living here in Utah. Get married. Grandpa Hunter gives us... So before I got married, my dad said, you have to be completely out of debt, which I was. You have to own the ring and you have to own a car with no debt before you can get married, Dave. And I said, yeah, no problem. Bought a ring for $100. Bought a 1973 Ford Maverick that was three on the tree for a hundred dollars. Awesome! And we were set, ready to go. At our wedding, my grandpa Hunter gives us a thousand bucks, which to me is magic beans because he gives me the thousand bucks, and instead of going and paying tuition for the semester, I went out and bought an orange Volkswagen bus Westfalia nice. with a pop top. Nice. Jill and I get married July third. We get a job in San Francisco that's going to last until school starts in September as tour guides to Germans. And it was the funnest summer we've ever had. We lived in, we lived in Union Square in a hotel for the summer. In, so rad. And just partied in San Francisco. Took the bus and the Maverick, drove to Utah, and lived in the Rain Tree parking lot for an entire month in the bus. No way. Yeah. You lived in the West Valley. Lived in the West Valley. So you end up graduating from BYU. 10 years. I started in 88, and in 98 I graduated from BYU. Yeah. And you graduated with a degree in film. In film. Yeah. What was your love of film? Again, I stutter. Kurt Bryan. Kurt and I were best friends, even though they lived in Santa Utah and we were in San Jose. We did Lake Powell together every year. He'd come live at our house in the summers. Kurt and I were, I mean, he was literally my best friend. Yeah. Going through school. And I started the real estate. I started a development company right when we got married. Kurt at school was like, Hunter. Going to law school? Stupid. Being an attorney? Dumb. Dude, we're at film school. You get cameras. You get to run around and make movies. That's what could be But I'm like, done. Let's do it. So we went to film school and I said, but Kurt, and I had already started my real estate company, my development company. Yeah. He said, when I get done in film school and you get done, we're going to make movies, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. He graduates before I do and his family's the England family. He married Marnie England, who's England trucking. Yeah. And he goes and starts working for the trucking company with a big desk and a job and a suit and a tie. And, and it was like, Sell out. And it was like, yes, you freaking, this is Kurt. You said we were going to make movies. You have a career. <laughs> That's funny. So that was, so, so Kurt, Kurt Brian Hale is single-handedly 100% responsible for me getting into film. His grandmother was Ruth Hale of the right. Hale Center Theater fame. And she really was, she had theaters in... In Arizona, Glendale, California, Utah. And she had a massive following. So just backtracking just a little bit. 93, I started doing real estate development. And out of just sheer tenacity, I I just went and figured out it was no brains. It was no, it was tenacity and luck. Because I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. But I knew that that housing around BYU was always going to be, I assumed, being young and dumb, that that was always going to be a hot item so from 93 to 2000 
became the single-handed biggest developer of student housing in Provo. It's awesome. And again, being young and dumb, thought by 2000, I was 30 at that time, I thought I was done. Like, done, 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 done. Retired. Retired. Yeah. And so I called up Kurt and said, Kurt, and this is, you know, everybody that's listening to this is like, oh, Hunter, what a, that's braggadocious or something to say that. But yeah. I really thought that. But there is always a repent. It's the Book of Mormon cycle because I get into the movie business and just got hammered. <laughs> and then, and, then and, and I'm developing again right now for a reason. But I call up Kurt and I say, Kurt, you're working for your father-in-law. Yeah. I said, if you'll go in and swear at him and kick over your desk just to burn the bridge to make sure you can't go back, <laughs> if you'll do that, I will hire you. I will give you a salary to come over and let's make movies because you convinced me to go to film school and. But you can't do it with one. You can't, you know, keep an eye to yeah. trucking. Or if you're going to come do this, we're going to do this. So he's like, done and done. Goes and tips over his desk and yep. rips off his I'm tie. Yeah. Jerry Maguire moment. Who's coming with me? <laughs> Leaves the building. Yep, yep, yep. He shows up and for the first six months, we did nothing. We snowboarded and skated <laughs> every day for six months. And it was just so awesome to be together. We were just uh... cracking up and laughing and having a great time. And the whole premise of the company was... Ruth had written 150 stage plays and they were all family friendly and they all had pretty big following. So we were going to take some of those plays yep. and adapt them into screenplays. And we were going to call the company Hailstorm to monopolize off of play off the name, Hail. off of her name yeah. and see if we couldn't get some of her following to come along sure. with us. While we were writing these scripts, one of Kurt's good film buddies was a guy named John Moyer. Yep. John Moyer comes in our office one day and says, guys, I've written a script that's a comedy right up your alley. It's about singles life. And I always thought the singles life was hilarious. And and we can get into this. That is also a subject we talk about because people, the, the critics of singles ward, it, it actually is one of the, it's, it's the, one of the biggest parodies of, I mean, we've just taken this cultural element Yes. And just lampoon. I mean, it, it couldn't be more accurate. I mean, uh, we've yeah. been in singles orders and it just couldn't have been a more accurate portrayal of who we are, as dorky and dumb as it was. And it's kind of based on John Moyer's life. 100%. John Moyer had gone through a lot yep, of that. Yep, that was, it really was autobiographical. During that time, I was doing stand-up with John. So I used to see John all the time and he was telling me, that's, he was the one who told me that you guys were doing all this. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. amazing. So... So we get so he comes in and he shows us what this thing is and so Kurt and I thought oh you know what this could be easier than doing a hail thing because we know where the Mormon bodies are buried we know where there's yeah. Mormons and there's high concentrations of Mormons and we thought you know what this is I I think we could make this comedy and how it, hard was it making singles ward it's if. And a lot of your guys are on these things or doing films and they're doing and they're entertainers or there's something doing a motion picture that actually gets distribution and gets a DVD or back then a VHS release. There couldn't be anything harder. They're, yeah. they're just flat. Couldn't be, if you can do that, you can do brain surgery. I mean, it's, it's that complex. And then you guys went on a run. Then we went on a run. You went on a run. Made a lot of, business mistakes in singles ward because we didn't know i didn't know i mean i knew real estate and i knew how to develop student housing but i didn't know how to cut distribution deals or do 
didn't do anything. So we made a ton of mistakes. We built a lot of people's cabins and houses with a singles ward that Kurt and I didn't get and changed kind of our business model going forward. And we kind of took over distribution and, and kind of went at our own after yeah. that. You, you really became a distribution company as well. You started distributing other films. We started distributing other films, films and we, other people. we became the biggest. I mean, we were, we were yeah. doing more films and doing more things than Excel or anybody else. We became the... So the going preeminent. back to that time, our our uh, listeners would recognize there's the Singles Ward, the RM, the Home Teachers. I want to spend a minute talking about Church Ball. That this was going to be the big budget one. Yeah, we wanted to. Th- we wanted to bring in some big. And, and when you say stars, it's hilarious. Like Clint Howard. I mean, we didn't really own Wilson's brother. I mean, we had a brother of a star. Um, Gary Coleman. You also had one of the greatest acting talents of all time in Fred Willard. Fred Willard. Who, who is one of the funniest men. And in that movie, he's hilarious. And, he and is funny. And I know, Gall, we're time constrained, but one of the great stories is there was a, the full series of commercials, the Holiday Inn commercials with a guy named Ross Broccoli. And the mom would come in and say, the mom would come in and he'd say, mom, I need the internet. I need a newspaper. What do you think this is? A holiday inn? And they, they laugh. I wanted that guy so bad. Ross Broccoli was his name. We tracked him down, and from those commercials, he scratched enough money together to buy an organic chicken farm in Nebraska. I track him down, get his number, call him, <laughs> and say, Ross, we're doing this comedy. You have to be in it. No, not an actor. Not interested. Could care less. And besides, I got an organic chicken farm out here in Nebraska. Gotta gotta get the chickens, you know. Someone's got ten of the chickens. This is a true story. We have a PA, and he is so geeked to work on a film that he's like doing cartwheels. His name was Dave. Call Dave into the office. Dave, what's up, man? This is so awesome. I'm freaking making movies. I was like, dude, you're so stoked. You'll do anything for this, right? Yeah, we got a job for you. Because Ross said, Dave, if you'll get somebody to come out and watch my chickens, I'll come do your movie. <laughs> Dave, what? You're going to Nebraska. What am I doing there? You're going to run the chicken farm. <laughs> and I honestly thought that I had just run the kid over with a truck. He oh, was he wanted so to deflated. make movies and now he's watching chickens. Now he's watching oh, the chickens. Dave. So he flies out to oh, Nebraska. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. And yeah, so he flies out to Nebraska. That's and amazing. That is Watches awesome. this guy's chickens. Ross shows up and literally dirt in his fingernails, chicken farmer. And he's the funniest in fact, I think you went to one of his comedy sets when you're shooting church ball. He went to Wise Guy or to the one that Mike had, Fat, Dumb, and Happy. Fat, Dumb, and Happy. Yeah. And it was probably the funniest probably set him. that I had ever seen. Yeah. I used to hang out there, so I probably saw him. But, uh, oh, Dave, that's classic. So I've hung out with a lot of comics in my life. I've gotten to know a lot of, I mean, big name touring comics and locals or whatever. And when people say, who is the funniest comic you've ever met? I say on stage or off, because on stage is one thing, because that's a craft and everything else, or acting or whatever. Just sitting around, Michael Berkland is the funniest man I've ever met in my entire life. And there's not even a comparable. There's not I, even a second place. that Mike just gets first place, and he walks off the stage. He is funniest human being. Funniest human being. When but he gets the most on role, engaging, nice, Yeah, loves every... I mean, Mike is just one of the great humans of the planet. Tell us about Latter-day Night Live. Sean, your your set in that is still, it's so, it was legendary. I got to tell you something funny about this. I 
to this day. Latter Day Night Live was 15 years ago. Oh, at least. More? Yeah, it's probably 03, 04. That was such, first of all, a fun night. But secondly, all of us have talked about just what a magic thing that was. It's so funny because culturally speaking, I don't think you could go replicate that event now. Mm-mm. Remember, when we were shooting it live, people were falling on the ground. They were laughing so hard. I yeah. mean, it was it, it was an event. It was awesome. All right. So I thank you. I thank you for Latter-day Night Live because it's just, that was such a fun fun thing to do and kind of fun to still have around. I mean, yeah. culturally, that was really fun. Nope, was a cool so you guys one. make all these films. And then it felt like maybe the era of the Mormon cinema had kind of, it almost felt like suddenly so many people were making them. People and maybe is, got a little is, bit this burned is out. Not, this is not, I don't think it was, well, burned out, I don't know, but, and, you know, we're as, we're as to blame as anybody, but when we did our productions, they were full-blown productions. I mean, Singles yeah. War and RM, we shot on 35 millimeter film. I mean, they were full-blown, full productions. The digital age comes in, and everybody with a handicam I mean, literally, people are shooting full feature films. Hunter come out to set, and you go out there, and there's a guy holding a handy cam, and that's the entire, that's the crew. The, well, you know, the guy shooting point, it. iPhones. Yeah, and I and yeah, and not you know, and our detractors. Oh yeah, you guys, everybody had some, but the filming and the production quality and everything just took literally from like oh five oh six. It just went off a cliff because everybody had access to a thousand dollar camera, right? And they were just out there shooting things with their friends. I mean, at least our productions were. Oh, for sure. Big productions. Yeah. So, and yeah, and then I think it just wore out the audience, and then they just didn't trust it anymore. And, and you know, yeah. if the Hailstorm, if we would have just kept pumping out a film a year, one every two years, that would have been, you know, and we were the only people in the game, it probably, probably would have sustained. But now they've got a thousand options, and they get burned a thousand times, and they're just like, eh, no. To, to this day, we have the number one rated show in the history of the Hallmark Channel. What? Yeah. What a Christmas that? Wish that we shot... Eight years ago. I can't even remember when it was. And you're still making a film every year? Every single year. But you're making it. You're producing it and everything. Yeah. Not just distribution. No, not... Yeah, I'm the producer. Yeah, that's I mean, awesome. we, we went and did... I did a show called The Nitro Circus, which was with Travis Pastrana yeah, of and... of course, all those guys. And Johnny Knoxville and Tremaine and... Yeah. And Channing Tatum. What about... Uh, um, what about Don Verdeen? Don Verdeen. So Jared Hess and I have a little film company called Buffalo Films, and we did Don Verdeen a couple years ago, and that was a premiere film at Sundance. Um, and Jared and I and Jack Black are working on a project right now, and the script is written, and we're just trying to awesome. put that thing together. It's awesome. So that's super fun. Um, so you're still making a lot of films. You're still doing development, all kinds of real estate stuff. Yep. You're very busy. Yeah. And then I bump into you at the most random places. Yeah, Utah Lake. You're taking your <laughs> jet boat skiing, out. and we're boating. Yeah. Yep, you're boating. I'm jet skiing, and then at the grocery store and stuff. Yeah, and, but you're all over the place. You, you've got so many, so many irons in the fire. Tell us what your family's doing now. So I've got seven kids, and awesome. they're all just a bunch of monkeys, and they run around and they're crazy. And my oldest got married this year. Um, he went on he went on a mission to Finland. Then our next one, our daughter, she went on a mission to Germany, which was super awesome for Jill and I that she went back there. And then we have a kid in Singapore right now on a mission. And then we've got, uh, then there's four Bloom and, you know, one in high school. Unreal. Couple in whatever elementary school. And and we 
party. The hunters, there. Yeah. If nothing else, we party. Yeah, you guys have a lot of fun. You have a fun family. I can't believe we're sitting here 30, 40 years later. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. That we're still alive and still around. Yeah. I I will, before I ask you the final question, I will summarize if people really want, if you haven't gotten to know Dave Hunter about six, no, about eight, 10 months ago, we were up at Bear Lake for 4th of July and we went to church and I'm walking out and I see this big old guy come running at me. It's Jimmy Hunter. It's your brother. And Jimmy's there and Julia's there and we're all talking. And they said, we're here at a cabin. And I said, oh, cool. And they said, yeah, Dave's up here with us. And I said, oh, well, where is Dave? I want to say hi. And Jimmy said, you know, Dave, he does his own thing. He may be (laughs) sitting in the front row or he may be down walking on the beach. I just don't know. And I think that's you, Dave. I think that you... You live your life the way you want to live it, yet you live 100% in accordance with the gospel. And it's such a blessing. And I love that you represent the church, Dave. I love it. I think that people get to know you. They can get to know the Savior and break down some real barriers as to what people think maybe about how members of the church are. I think that's the highest compliment anybody in this planet could ever receive. That's very touching. I don't even know what to say. Absolutely true. We're going to wrap up with... uh, question we ask all of our guests, which is, Dave Hunter, what does being a member of the church mean to you? So, this, this it actually ties back to the films. So, when Kurt and I did the singles ward, we get a call from Brother Haight at the time, and he was the most senior apostle at the time. The guy was 96 years old. He calls our office, says, hey, Dave. I say, hey, Brother Haight. <laughs> he said, we David B. Haight. David B. Haight said, my wife and I, Ruth, have seen Singles Ward, and I want to meet the guy that's behind this film. And I thought, are we in trouble or what it is? He said, because I think these, I think this is going to become something influential, and I just want to see who these people are. Would you mind coming up to dinner at our house? I said, Brother Hayton, no problem. No problem. So Kurt and I pack up. Sunday afternoon, go up to Brother Hate and Ruth's house for, and they're dead now, so we can, and so we can tell funny stories about the Hates. <laughs> but Ruth, God bless her, she's ninety-four years old, and she makes us maybe the worst pot roast dinner I've ever had in my life. It was <laughs> literally as dry as you could have made a piece of meat. I, I mean, she might as well just put beef jerky on the plate. So we choked that down for a couple hours. <laughs> then we settled in the living room, and at the end of the literally sitting there four hours and he was just wanted to know who we were and what we were doing. And you guys, this is a, you know, media is a sacred thing and you guys can't go out and, and, you know, I, I hope you guys do. And they loved the singles ward. Brother hate loved the That's singles so ward. Amazing. He thought it was one of the funniest films that's ever been made. How funny. So at the end of the night, I don't know. We should, I had some other good, funny stories, but at the end of the night, he goes, the other funny stories when my grandpa Hunter died, but this one at the end of the night, it was like, so brother, hey, can I ask you something? He's like, yeah, of course. He said, so what is the meaning of life? And brother, hey, and said, this was probably in 01 or 02. And I had already, you know, so I was 31, 32, but it was already kind of philosophically exactly aligned with what I was. But he, in all seriousness, and this is a 96-year-old senior possible that's 96, so he has the wisdom of everything. He's seen it all. He's done it all. 
And in all seriousness, he said, Dave, the only thing that matters in this life is how you treat other people. That is it. Everything else doesn't matter. And Sean, I get a little emotional about that because that's that to me is the gospel 100%. That nothing else matters. So, you know, and I, I, I am in a bishopric now and from the pulpit, I don't know the scriptures very well. I don't know. I mean, I'm just an idiot, but from, that's all I ever talk about is mm. is that, not that night, but just being Christian and being Mormon, the only thing that matters. I mean, the number one commandment is love God, and the number two is love your fellow yeah. man. That's it. And that's the, there's the 90-20 or the 80-20 rule. I call it the 90-10 rule in Mormondom. Yeah. If you do those two things, you're 90% of the way there. The other 10% of the things are, you know, if you're checking off boxes and doing this and that other, but if you yeah. love God and love your fellow man, genuinely love your fellow man, Sean, you're you're going to be okay in, in the end, and that's so. When I die, and that philosophy was wrong, then I'll just bro- blame brother hate. But <laughs> but for me, that is my life if, philosophy, and that's truly how I live and act with my family, my friends, and everything else. Is how you treat other people is the only thing that matters, and and I I really think that that's that's awesome. That's so that's, that's my it. that's my philosophy. Well, if that's the key, then you've got a place in heaven, Dave. You made a lot of people very happy in your life, including me. I'm grateful to be your friend. <laughs> I really am. I uh, still remember seeing you at my brother's funeral, and that was so touching. He is a filmmaker, a developer, a father, a husband, a member of a bishopric, a grandson of a prophet, and one of the most awesome guys I know. Dave, thank you for sharing your latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. My special thanks to my dear friend, Dave Hunter. What an amazing guy. It was so fun to sit and and just talk and catch up. And like I said, I not only love Dave, but I just love the whole Hunter family. You know, I'm very close with uh, his brother, Jimmy, is a very dear friend of mine. And of course, uh, Sam and, and Julia and Marilee and the whole family. I bumped into Dave's mom a few months back and she gave me the biggest hug. And she is just such a loving wonderful woman. I love and respect their family so much. Just an awesome, awesome family. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, you know, we had uh, Easter a couple of Sundays ago, and I hate to admit it, but sometimes I run a little bit late for church. And on Easter Sunday, there I was running late for church, and I was running out the door. I was going to be just on time, and I could not find my phone anywhere. My wife was walking out the door, and I could have gotten on my computer and done find my iPhone or whatever, but instead I yelled to my wife, hey, will you call my phone? My wife called it. I was able to find it, grabbed it, put it in my pocket, and was just about to walk out, and my wife called again. And the reason that she called again was I didn't get back to her to let her know I had found it. So I quickly grabbed it and typed, I got it, as a reply to the call. But the screen kind of freaked out there for a minute. Didn't know why, but I sent the message, and it showed it was sent. I got it. I then went up to church and sat down with my family. And here I was ready for such a beautiful Easter sacrament meeting, when all of a sudden I got a text. And this text said, Okay, I just wanted to make sure you were invited. Sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, ruffle things or whatever. And I was like, what? what is this? It was from my sister. I had no idea what she was talking about. 
Well, this is from my sister, who is one of my closest friends in the world, whom I love so much. She is one of my favorite people on the planet, and she is not an active member of the church. And here it was, Easter Sunday, and she had sent me a text uh, saying, hey, I know you're probably going to be at church. I know how you feel about the Sabbath, but I just wanted to make sure you were invited. A group of us are going out to brunch for Easter brunch. No pressure. Again, I know you're probably at church, but I wanted you to know you were invited. Well, apparently that text came in right at the same moment that my wife called so I could find my phone, and the message, I got it, went to my sister. After she sent this incredibly sweet invitation to me, her reply that she got back from her brother was, I got it. And I could tell she was like unsure about whether or not she should even invite me because, you know, again, she does know how I feel about the Sabbath. And she gets this rude response, I got it. And then she sent me a message kind of apologizing for having invited me. Oh, I felt so terrible. I started to text her, oh, it was a misunderstanding that wasn't meant for you, but there's no way to do that over text. So I excused myself on Easter Sunday sacrament meeting, and I stepped outside, and I called my sister just outside the church. And when I called her, I explained to her what an idiot I am and what had happened, and she just started laughing. She said, oh, yeah, she said, that response didn't seem like you. And I said, no, I was so touched that you would invite me, and I was thrilled that I was invited, and I'm so sorry. And we had a good laugh about it. We then spent a couple of minutes catching up, and in fact, my sisters, both my sisters, who I love both of them, I'm very close to both of them, we have certain certain sayings between each other, and now I got it, is becoming a saying that we text each other now. So funny. And uh, what a wonderful moment to catch up. And then I went back in and sat down and thoroughly enjoyed our Easter program at Sacrament Meeting. And part of why I was in such a good mood was because I was able to clear things up with my sister. And I don't regret stepping out of sacrament meeting for one second, because I had said something that came across as rude to my sister. And what a great moment to tell her how much I love her, and how much it meant to me how touched I was, and how much I appreciated that she thought to invite me out to an Easter brunch. My mom was very fond of the saying, sometimes we get so busy being Mormon we forget to be Christian. And I think that that can be true. And I don't regret stepping out because I think that's the Christ-like thing to do. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in. means the world to us. If you want to reach out to me, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram, on Twitter. Feel free to reach out to us. If you could, share us with someone who might enjoy the show. And what means the world to us is if you get a chance to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that is what really drives people being able to find us. And we want to share these incredible conversations with amazing saints. We want to share this with as many people as possible. So until next week, thank you so much for listening. And please remember, as always, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.